This is Sarah Lemon, author of the Holdish blog and food writer for the Mail Tribune newspaper in Southern Oregon. This podcast is produced for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. Find it online at mailtribune.com forward slash podcast and read my blog, The Whole Dish, at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. I've been cooking a lot lately with winter squash. And some people may feel that urge subside when fall goes by the wayside and the holidays come rushing in. For me, it was sort of born out of necessity, partly because I hadn't gone to the grocery store for a couple of weeks. I hadn't been since prior to Christmas. And also, I had several winter squash that I'd been keeping in my garage, just sort of staring me down, kind of like challenging me to use them. I had butternut squash, I had spaghetti squash, and I actually had a sugar pumpkin that was even displayed outside over Halloween, but really weathered that experience well enough to be eaten. And that's exactly what I did this past week, turning that squash into one of my favorite silky soups, pumpkin leek soup. And I also tried a new recipe that I posted to my blog back in December for a savory squash tart, autumn mushroom and butternut tart. Now, the reference to the season aside, it was absolutely delicious and one that I plan to make again with a homemade savory pastry crust enriched with cheese. And you could use any sort of hard shell winter squash in this. It happened to call for butternut or delicata. I had a massive butternut squash that I'm still chipping away at. It's been in my fridge for a couple of weeks now. I've also put some in the freezer, peeled, seeded, and diced. You don't need to do anything else to winter squash to freeze it for use later. It freezes just fine without any blanching. Comes out of the freezer a little softened, but you're going to be cooking butternut squash anyway. If anything, it just cuts down on the cooking time later to have frozen it. So I'm going to share in this podcast those two recipes, autumn mushroom and butternut tart, as well as my pumpkin leek soup. And this one is from my blog archives way back to 2007, the first year of my blog, and it was one of the first recipes I posted for winter squash, possibly for pumpkin, and it still is great all these years later. First, the recipe for autumn mushroom and butternut tart. It calls for one and three quarter cups unbleached all-purpose flour. I actually used some whole wheat flour for this, and I thought it came out great. The crust was still tender and flaky, and I like that nuttiness from the whole wheat flour in this. Two and a quarter cups shredded white cheddar or Swiss cheese. That's about nine ounces, and it's a divided use. Some is going to go in this pastry crust, as I mentioned, and then some goes inside the baked tart shell with the butternut squash and the mushrooms. A half teaspoon fine salt, a half cup cold butter, cut into chunks, two egg yolks, a half pound peeled butternut squash or unpeeled delicata squash. I think I sliced it actually a quarter inch thick, so I'd make sure it would cook until it was soft. Olive oil is needed, coarse salt and freshly ground black pepper to taste, freshly grated nutmeg and toasted ground cumin to taste, three quarter pound mixed fresh wild mushrooms trimmed and sliced. Now, of course, wild mushrooms 
are delicious in this. Chanterelles would be absolutely lovely. I actually just used cremini mushrooms because they're what I had on hand. You could use really any mushrooms for this. Button mushrooms, oyster mushrooms. It's still going to come out delicious, even dried reconstituted morels or porcinis. You also need some fresh sage leaves and sliced scallions for garnish. Preheat the oven to 450 degrees Fahrenheit. And to make the pastry crust, place the one and three quarter cups unbleached all-purpose flour with one cup of the white cheddar or Swiss cheese and the half teaspoon fine salt in the bowl of a food processor fitted with a metal blade. Process for a few seconds to blend and then add the half cup cold butter that you've cut into chunks and process for 10 to 20 seconds until the mixture is like fine crumbs. People also refer to this as sort of looking like sand. Using a fork, beat the two egg yolks with three tablespoons ice water. It's important to keep this crust really flaky. And with the food processor motor running, pour that into the feed tube. Process for about five seconds or until the dough just comes together. You can tell when it starts to sort of wrap around the blade. Crumble the dough into an 11 by 7 inch rectangular fluted tart pan with a removable bottom or 12 inch round tart pan. I actually had a 9 inch tart pan that I use all the time for my quiches and tarts. I don't have a larger one. So I was able to freeze a portion of this crust and use it for later. Pastry crust is another thing that freezes really lovely. Press the dough evenly into the pan with your fingers, making sure the bottom of the crust isn't too thick, and then use a fork to prick the dough all over. Press a double folded piece of aluminum foil down into the pan and bake the pastry in the preheated 450 degree oven for 12 minutes. Then reduce the heat to 350 degrees, remove the foil, and continue baking for about 10 more minutes or until the crust is a light golden brown, and cool that. Toss the squash, that half-pound peeled butternut squash that's been cut in half-inch slices, with one tablespoon of oil. Then season with salt, pepper, the freshly grated nutmeg, and toasted ground cumin to taste. Spread that out on a parchment-lined rimmed baking sheet and bake that in the preheated 350 degree oven for about 25 minutes or until tender. And you can start this process during the last 10 minutes of the cooking time of your tart shell when you've reduced the heat. That's what I did. It seems to work just fine. Then cool the squash for about five minutes. The instructions here are also to toss the mushrooms, a three quarter pound trimmed and sliced mushrooms on a second baking sheet with oil and salt and pepper. I actually didn't do that because I like to have some control over sauteing my mushrooms. I know exactly how they are releasing their moisture and browning, caramelizing, and seasoning those sort of separately. I had some bacon fat on hand. I often do when I've cooked a pan of bacon. I'll save the drippings and then I'll use that to cook mushrooms in particular really makes a lovely flavor. And my partner commented that this tart was really, really savory, partly because I had sauteed the mushrooms in the bacon fat. You can do that in the oven, but I already had two pans going in the oven with the pastry crust, with butternut squash. A third one seemed a bit much to manage, so I actually did the step with the mushrooms on the stovetop. It's easily done, you could do that as well, or you could roast those in the oven if you care to do that. Once the squash is cooked, 
the mushrooms are cooked, that pastry shell has come out of the oven, sprinkle three quarter cup of the white cheddar or Swiss cheese in the bottom of the pastry crust. I also actually like to brush the pastry crust first with just a little bit of Dijon mustard. It's my little twist on this recipe. It's not called for. It makes a really great flavor. And if you think you might like that, consider doing that. Just brush very lightly. Takes about a tablespoon of Dijon mustard to cover the bottom of the pastry crust. Then the cheese on top, three quarter cup and arrange the roasted squash and the mushrooms on top of that, sprinkling with the remaining half cup of cheese. And bake in the preheated 350 degree oven until the cheese is melted for about 10 minutes. You can also broil this. I like my cheese just a little toasty on top, just a little browned. If you like that as well, maybe consider putting it under a low oven broiler for just like the last 30 seconds or so. And then sprinkle with the fresh sliced sage leaves and some sliced scallions. You could also do chopped fresh Italian parsley here, even a little bit of chopped finely, finely minced rosemary, which I think is lovely, or thyme, really sort of any combination of herbs you like. And serve the tart warm or at room temperature, cut into slices, and that makes six servings of autumn mushroom and butternut tart. That recipe is originally from Untamed Mushrooms from Field to Table by Michael Carnes, Dennis Becker, and Lisa Golden Schroeder. That's published by Minnesota Historical Society Press. And you can find that one on my blog homepage, The Whole Dish, at mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. Now for the pumpkin leek soup. And that maybe sounds like a strange combination if you haven't had it before, but let me reassure you, this is a classic soup in French cuisine. It's classic for good reason. The only thing I like to do to just switch it up a little bit is to add some curry powder and some turmeric just for that little bit of flavor enhancer. I'm not trying to go for an Indian flavor profile here, just really warm up the flavors of the pumpkin. I also squeezed in just a little bit of fresh orange juice as well to balance out the flavors and bring out some sweetness because pumpkin, even though edible pumpkins often are known as sugar pumpkins, aren't as sweet as butternut squash. So this soup doesn't have that desserty kind of flavor that a lot of butternut squash soups have, I find. It's got a really, really nice savory flavor. And it's ultra creamy when you blend it, puree it until it's totally smooth, which is how I like it. You don't have to add any cream, any dairy to have a super, super smooth, silky soup. You can find this recipe in my blog archives at blogs.esouthernoregon.com forward slash rogue hyphen valley hyphen food. Select from the drop down menu on the right hand side of the page under the heading archives and select October 2007. And it should be right at the top, posted October 31st under the headline Don't Forget the Season's Other Pumpkins. Of course, I was referencing these edible sugar pumpkins as being the culinary choice, not jack o' lantern pumpkins. And this soup is so simple too. The hardest part is actually peeling the pumpkin. It does take a little bit of doing. It's gonna take almost longer than the hands-on time for the soup. You could use another squash for this, of course, as well. Butternut squash being ideal or another sort of firm, kind of orange flushed winter squash. Curry squash, K-U-R-I would also be nice. Pumpkin leek soup calls for two tablespoons unsalted butter, two medium leeks, the white and very light green part only, thinly sliced and rinsed well. 
one small onion, white or yellow onion is preferable here. A red onion sort of interferes with the color and it's a little bit strong in flavor. You want that onion peeled and finely chopped. Four cups, half inch cube, seeded and peeled sugar pumpkin. And four to six cups chicken or vegetable stock as well as salt and freshly ground pepper to taste. You can garnish this with a half cup coarsely chopped toasted pumpkin seeds. You can buy pumpkin seeds in the bulk section of most grocery stores, or certainly there's other package sources. I actually took the seeds out of the pumpkin, and I had them from my butternut squash too, and I roasted them. I absolutely love that, and it's super easy to do. You just rinse them really well. Again, this takes some time to get the fibers off of the pumpkin seeds, and they're slimy. You want to remove some of that. Preheat your oven to 275 degrees. Just stir the squash seeds, pumpkin seeds, on a baking sheet with just a little bit of oil, like a teaspoon or so, and a sprinkle of salt, and roast them in that 275-degree oven for about 35 minutes. You want to stir them often so they don't stick to the pan and they don't start to burn. But again, it's easy. You don't want them to cook too high. 275 degrees is perfect to have lightly browned, absolutely delicious pumpkin seeds or squash seeds you could serve on top of this soup. So to start pumpkin leek soup, in a large pot, melt the two tablespoons unsalted butter over medium heat. Add the two medium leeks, white and light green part only that have been thinly sliced and rinsed well, and the small onion that's been peeled and finely chopped, and cook, stirring often for 10 minutes or until the leeks are softened. At this point, I like to sprinkle in about a tablespoon of curry powder. It sounds like a lot, but these other ingredients are pretty bland and the pumpkin can definitely take some seasoning. When you stir it in with the onion and the leek, it starts to sort of toast, which is how you bring out those flavors. I also sprinkle in about a teaspoon of turmeric. Although there's turmeric in curry powder, I like the additional turmeric for the color and the health benefits. Stir in the four cups, half inch cubed pumpkin. It's been peeled, of course, and seeded. And cook for two to three minutes until those are all coated with butter and the spices if you added those. Then pour in enough of the stock, four to six cups chicken or vegetable stock, to cover everything by one inch. And then increase the heat to high and bring to a boil. Reduce the heat to medium and simmer the mixture for 15 to 20 minutes or until the pumpkin is very tender. A word about the stock, this calls for four to six cups. I will say that if you use a lesser quantity, if you err on the lesser side of that, about four cups, and then you blend this in a high-speed, good-quality blender, I actually have a Vitamix, which is lovely, you will get a nice, thick, silky soup. If you add more of the chicken stock to this, you won't get that really thick consistency. It's really up to you. But if you use the lesser amount, you'll get that thick result without any dairy. So after that mixture simmered for 15 to 20 minutes and the pumpkin's very tender, then you can transfer it to your food processor or a blender and puree the soup in batches. Don't forget to vent the steam by taking the middle feed tube part out of your blender lid and place a kitchen towel, clean kitchen towel over the top so you don't get spattering. It could build up enough heat, the top might come off if you don't vent that. 
You can also use an immersion blender, a stick blender, right down inside the pot. I've done that plenty of times, but you'd never quite get that really, really silky texture as you do if you put it in a blender or food processor. Then return the soup to the pot. I like to rinse the pot first before I do that so you're not getting just any little bits of fiber that might have been left behind when you scraped the soup into the food processor or blender. And reheat the soup, seasoning to taste with salt and pepper. Again, I just squeezed a little bit of fresh orange juice in this. I happen to have a Cara Cara orange on the counter and I'd eaten part of it and I just squeezed the rest in the soup to adjust those flavors slightly. You could also do a splash of apple cider vinegar if you like that, that's nice, or a splash of sherry. And then ladle the soup into serving bowls and sprinkle with the pumpkin seeds if you roasted those. It's also really lovely with soft goat cheese or crispy bacon. And that makes four to six servings of pumpkin leek soup. Find that one on my blog archives at blogs.esouthernoregon.com forward slash rogue hyphen valley hyphen food. And check out the latest post to my blog at mealtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish for more soup recipes perfect for this weather, including a fish and sausage chowder that I posted January 6th under the headline fish sausage make Midwest chowder. This is Lake Erie perch chowder, which is lovely with Pacific cod, which is what I used as well as some Polish kielbasa. My family absolutely love this one with a side of homemade sauerkraut. Find that one at mealtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. And thanks for listening to and reading The Whole Dish.